Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by NHL analyst for ESPN.com. He's Greg Wyshynski joining us here on the show. Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. How are you doing today? Doing well, doing well. It's been uh, interesting times. I mean, I, I was in line at Trader Joe's buying cauliflower gnocchi when Barry Trotz got fired this morning. So that was exciting. Uh, cauliflower it, it, yo- gnocchi, <laughs> dude, dude. The T, the TJ's cauliflower gnocchi with the uh, vegan pesto is one of the best quickie meals you could possibly get at, at TJ's. Man, you got. I'm, I'm trying to hip the audience to the good stuff. Greg, I want you to know that sounds like something I would eat, and our audience makes fun of me for my eating habits literally every day. <laughs> well, listen, I, you know, as you know, I've been to St. Louis on many an occasion, so I imagine the cauliflower gnocchi and uh, vegan pesto. Uh, is is a small sliver of your audience would uh, appreciate that that dish. <laughs> we only make fun of him because all he does is he drinks these weird juices that have um, collard greens and apples and celery mixed together with kale and basil. So I've, I've done those juice things before, and I, and I occasionally I'll grab one when I'm at the store. I got to tell you, like you could throw any of that stuff in there, like all that green stuff, and you know blend it up, whatever. If you throw ginger in there. I'm going to be all right. Like the ginger in those drinks to me is the real key. Like I could choke down anything if you throw some ginger in there to kind of distract me from what I'm drinking. Yeah, this one has a little bit of lemon, a little bit of ginger, a little bit of mint tea. It's great. It goes down super easy. And it, Greg, we've got an 11 to 2 show here. Like I got to I got to eat or drink something at some point throughout the show today. All right, we, we are way <laughs> off topic. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, did they miss their chance to be able to bury the Blues? They really did. I, I think they had every opportunity to um, – to come back in that game yesterday, you know, I was, you know, watching the game and especially in the third period, you could kind of feel it tilting. You could kind of feel, okay, if the, if the wild, not this thing up, they might be able to take this game and really take control of the series. Um, but they were unable to, I mean, they had their opportunities in the power play. They certainly had some real good chances at five on five that I think Jordan Biddington did a real good job in turning back. And then obviously the blues took advantage of, of their opportunities later in the period to put the game away. So they might look back on that one and say we had our shot. You know, they came out flat. Uh, they got down in the game, and then when they finally turned on the afterburners, it might have been a little too late. Uh, so if they end up losing this series, I think they're going to look back on that game as, as the real turning point. 
Greg, how important is it, though, for this Blues team to get some type of defenseman back? Yeah, they weathered the storm last night without having Scandella and Krug and Letty and Bortuzzo, but do you think they could win this series if they don't have any of those combination of guys playing? No, but I don't think that's going to be a concern because I think they're going to get healthier. I mean, from what I understand, Letty's going to be back pretty soon, right? That's a big key for this team, um, especially with the kind of offense that the Wild throw at you and, and having a veteran steadying presence back there. I think that's a real big thing, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that he can come back uh, for the next game. Um, but, I mean, if everybody stays out of the lineup, I mean, it's going to be very hard for them to win this series. You can only go for so long with the replacements playing as, as well as they have, uh, especially with the way that Minnesota comes at you uh, in waves offensively. And, and let's face it, I mean, you know, it's not going to be every night that you get uh, a Minnesota team that – that misfires on, on key opportunities and has guys like Kevin Fiala playing, you know, their worst game of what's already been a pretty bad playoff for him. So, uh, you know, it, getting healthy is going to be a real key for the series. But, you know, in, in hearing what Craig Ruby and others have said, it sounds like things are trending in the right direction. Greg, why do you feel like Kevin Fiala's had a bad game? I mean, is it because of the matchups that Craig Ruby's been able to get out there against that line? Because, you know, Kaprizov's had a really good series. The grief line has been okay at times, but that Fiala line has just been absent. It has, and I think it's because he's been absent. I mean, and I don't know if it's the matchup issue or in watching the games, you know, in this series, I think he's pressing. I mean, this is a guy who uh, you know, normally is counted upon to be a pretty consistent offensive player. You can see that he's making bad decisions on the ice, um, and it's, it's really costing them the ability to have that second really solid scoring line behind the Kaprizov line. And, um, you know, I, the reasons for it, who's to say? I mean, you know, they try to, like, park all this stuff in the back of their minds when they go into the playoffs, the stuff that might be happening in the offseason. But let's face facts. The guys are restricted free agent after the season, um, he's looking to break the bank, could easily do so with a really strong playoff, and then also might still have some questions as to where he's going to be playing next season. So as much as these guys can compartmentalize things when they enter the postseason, you can't separate the fact that, you know, if you've got a chance to, you know, make a huge contract for yourself and, and you can do so if you had a really great playoff run, uh, maybe that's playing on his mind as well. Greg Wyshynski is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Greg, what is it? I'm going to leave this a little open-ended for you. What's it, what is it about this series that you have found most interesting thus far? I just think they're two. I mean, they're two really evenly matched teams. Um, and the other thing I, I find fascinating is the fact that, like, because of this playoff seeding that we're stuck with, this is the second and fourth best teams in the Western Conference playing in a first round series. I mean, that's incredible. It shouldn't happen. <laughs> like, these teams should have a much easier road. Like, one of them should be playing Edmonton, the other one should be playing LA. They should not be playing each other. Um, but they're just two teams that are just loaded for bear. I, I, I find the dynamic of the, of the Blues being a team that's won before uh, to be fascinating versus a, a wild team that obviously is looking for its first championship success. And they're sort of the emerging power in the division while the Blues are trying to, uh, you know, prove everybody wrong that said their window wasn't open. The drama with the goaltending is interesting with Flurry and Talbot in game one. And then obviously Bennington now taking over for Huso and getting his you know, breaking that nine game losing streak in the playoffs. So there's a lot of like storylines or star power, whether it's um, Cairo and, and Tarasenko and, and Thomas and O'Reilly uh, or, or whether it's, you know, Kaprizov on the other side. So it's just a fascinating series. And the bottom line for me guys is like, I, I I'm really interested in this series. because I, I genuinely believe that whoever comes out of the series is going to beat Colorado. I really do. Like I know Colorado is a steamroller right now and, 
and they're beating the hell out of the, the Predators, and they look loaded for bear. I, I think both of these teams are beat to beat are, are built to beat the Avalanche. I, I truly do, and I think whoever comes out of the series is going to beat them. How come? I think I think the physicality, the toughness. I think, I think both of these teams this season have shown that they can go punch for punch offensively with the Avalanche. Um, I think both have capable goaltending um, when, when it's playing well. I, I'd still like to see Huso again in the playoffs and see if he can get, kind of regain his form because he was so good in the regular season. Um, and especially when it comes to a team like the Blues, I mean, my goodness, you talk about a, a team that's practiced in the arts of defensive play if they have their defensemen healthy and have the ability to throw a Ryan O'Reilly up against a Nathan McKinnon. I, I think both these teams are, are built to try to, to, to knock out the avalanche, and I think one of them will. So with that being said then, Greg, for the Blues to win two of the next three games, who do you think the most important player on the ice is going to have to be for Craig Berube? Other than Bennington or Huso. That's a great <laughs> follow-up. <laughs> I almost fell into my own trap there. It's obviously one of those guys, but um, you know the difference maker in, in, in some of the phases of this series has been David Perron, specifically on the road. And I'm, I'm interested to see if that continues. I mean, I didn't, you know, sometimes you learn things as the series go on. I didn't realize Minnesota fans considered him to be a wild killer. Apparently, he is. Uh, and so, you know, the ability of that the, of his line to really bring it offensively and take the pressure off of Cairo and take the pressure off of Thomas, I think, was a real key early in the series. So. For me, you know, finding that scoring away from the, the bigger guns is always going to be the real key for the Blues, and I think it'll be the key there. But for the most part, I mean, you know, it's it's also just how they start. I mean, I, I think the big key in, in the previous game was that start with the Wild not coming out in good fashion and, and, and looking a little, a little bit overwhelmed by the moment. Um, the experience gap between these two teams is significant when it comes to championship play and when it comes to adversity in the playoffs. And I think the Blues have to kind of rely on that a little bit and hope that the Wild, uh, you know, might be a little frustrated at this point, not having taken advantage of the opportunity presented to them in Game 4. Greg, I got two more questions. One more on this Blues. So going back to how you feel that the winner of this one could beat Colorado, do you feel like that if that's the case, that the winner of this series between the Blues and Wild might have the best path to a Stanley Cup final? Because as much as Dallas and Calgary have been very difficult teams and Edmonton and L.A., it just seems like this is the tougher path to go through either the Blues or the Wild and then deal with Colorado. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, if the Flames don't make it out of their first-round series, then A, they're not as good as we thought they were, and B, that takes the, the second choice for a lot of people out of the equation in the Western Conference. And, I mean, I think, obviously, Colorado, St. Louis, Minnesota, all three of those teams are better than Dallas, L.A., and the, King, and the, and the Oilers. I mean, obviously. Um, so if, if the Calgary Flames aren't the Calgary Flames, yeah, that really does pave the path to playing for the Stanley Cup. And, you know, the thing about the Flames, and I'd be shocked if they lost tonight, to be honest with you. I I really can't fathom how a team that played that well in the regular season could stumble this badly in a a first-round series. But two things that are kind of playing on my mind are, one, it could be one of these deals where the Dallas Stars play two weeks of playoff games. The Flames are fat and happy at the top of the division. And just like we saw the Blue Jackets knock off the Lightning a few years ago, now we've got a team coming in with a little bit more momentum, a little bit more battle-tested, taking out a top seed. And then two, their offense just dried up at the wrong time. I mean, there's credit to Jake Gottinger and, and what the stars are doing, but like they're shooting just about 3% uh, in all situations. They have one high-danger goal on like 39 high-danger shot attempts. Ugh. The Flames are not the Flames right now. And, and, it's, and part of it is what Dallas is doing, and part of it is just simply not executing at the level that they executed in the regular season. 
So, Greg, final one, and I want to go back to one we think we talked about at the beginning, and that was Barry Trotz being fired by the New York Islanders. Greg, I don't understand this at all. I mean, with the Islanders, you're talking about a guy who lost in the second round, lost in the conference final, lost in the Stanley Cup semifinal, both to the essential Stanley Cup champion, and then this is the first year they missed the playoffs, but they started the season on a 15-game road trip and finished the season playing 50 and 99. Like, what is Lou thinking here? Well, there's a few theories floating around here in New York about that. One is that there might have been some kind of an ego clash behind the scenes. Uh, Lamarillo didn't really tell us any of his reasoning for doing this, other than to say that it was a a decision that was made beyond this season, which tells you that maybe there's some sort of a a beef between the two that's been kind of maybe a philosophical clash, let's call it, that's been building. The other thing is uh, I had some people tell me that maybe he didn't really, Lou didn't really like the way that the young players played under Barry. Um, one of the reasons the Islanders flopped this year was they didn't get a lot out of their younger players. And from a developmental standpoint, maybe Tross wasn't the right guy there. And then the third thing, and, and I find this intriguing because Lou is such an old school guy, there's kind of a, a theory that, in a, in a league that is clearly in an offensive cycle, um, you know, the highest scoring regular season we had since 95, 96, uh, Barry Trotz in his years in New York has not had a team that was higher than 21st in goals, uh, goals per game. So maybe Lou looks at this team, looks at the league and says to himself, okay, having a guy that can eke, our, our, eke out wins and get us to the conference final is great, but if we really want to compete in this league now, we need to have somebody who's a bit more of an offensive-oriented coach than Barry Trotz. So that, that, those are the theories that are being, being kicked around here in New York. But uh, I'll tell you this, like, no greater tribute to a dude than having three-quarters of the league all say, I will take him as my coach <laughs> when everybody has a coach currently. <laughs> like, it's crazy how he hits the market, and now everybody's looking at their own guy being like, all right, maybe not this guy, maybe this guy instead. And that that feels like it has Detroit written all over it. We've been talking yeah. about that today. Greg, final thing. I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, how do we make delay of game calls reviewable? Could, could could we put in a word to you to maybe get that fixed this offseason? Is that your next thing that you can write about for us? You're talking puck over the glass delay again? Yes, absolutely. I mean, first of all, it didn't even occur to me that they weren't. They should be. Like, you know, it, it makes sense that they would be. Um, I mean, I, I, I've always kind of hated that rule uh, in particular. I, I find there's to be so many instances of, of, of players doing it by mistake um, I, that, that to me, it's like, why should you penalize something where a rubber thing on ice happens to bounce the wrong way and now a guy gets a penalty for it. But it, where that rule lost me, I remember specifically where it lost me was um, it was a Capitals-Penguins game. Matt Cook from the Penguins was behind his own goal line and he's not the best player, right? So he can't do very, a lot of things very well. So he's trying to just pass the puck down the ice to a teammate. And he ends up shooting the puck over the glass at the other end of the ice, right? So he's in his defensive zone. The puck goes over the glass. He gets a delay of game penalty for shooting the puck over 200 feet. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me with this rule. Like, we have to have some editorial oversight of this rule where maybe we can determine whether or not the defending player is actually trying to delay the game or whether it was just a goof. Well, it's that one, Greg, but it's also the goaltender interference. Like, I don't understand how these two these two penalties or these two deciders of playoff games still can't be figured out by the officiating. Well, I mean, in goal interference, though, dude, it's like, Half the time, it, it seems like a bad call because no one, no one pays attention to the criteria, and they all kind of look at something and say, well, that seems like it should be a goal interference. 
um, when in, in actuality it's not, or, or in some cases it's just inconclusive as to what we what actually happened. I mean, we had a situation in the game um, uh, last uh, last yesterday between Boston and Carolina where it looked like uh, uh, Jake DeBrusque moved uh, onto Ronta's pad with his stick, but then the Carolina defender had his stick there too, and you're like, all right, so what actually happened here? You can't tell. Um, goalie interference is always going to be a very subjective thing. It's always going to be very tough to try to parse out what's real and what's not. Um, and then the, the real issue is that you have clear, rational thinking people like fans and skaters, and then you have the goalies who are insane and who are like, <laughs> this guy, this guy breathed on him. How is he supposed to make a save when he's being breathed on? And it's just like, shut up. You guys are terrible. You guys are, it's, it's a miracle. We have any scoring in this league with the way goalies complain. Uh, it is. Meanwhile, though, that delay game thing, I, I'm telling you, Greg, you should write about that this off season. If it's going to be on the books, just get it right. I don't, I'm totally, <laughs> f- I, I'm in favor of there being a hockey czar that can come down with a ruling in the moment that says, Hey, this is not in the spirit of the rule, but until we get that, let's at least try to get this correct, whatever it is on the books. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a frustrating one and, and, uh, and there's no, and honestly, it, it really gets exacerbated in the playoffs because when you're watching a multiple playoff overtime, they're obviously not going to call any actual right. penalties. It's usually some, uh, you know, ding bad putting the puck over the, over the glass that ends up costing his team, uh, you know, a power play, in the uh, in the second overtime, and you know, usually the hockey gods understand the rule is terrible, and uh, and no no goal is scored during that power play. But it is just that just your heart drops when you see somebody have to go to the box in a multiple overtime game because of that delay of game yeah. call. Yeah, and it's been three wrong calls that have gone against the Blues. That's the only reason I'm railing against it right now. If it was the other way around, I wouldn't be saying anything. Hey, Greg, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Enjoy the games tonight. We'll talk with you again soon. Anytime, thanks.